Over the last few weeks, we have been talking about some of the different things that uh, sort of go on in our lives, the things that we can, can do when we sense or feel that God is distant or far away from us, when he feels like he's silent in our lives. And first, we talked about the importance of just being honest and open with God about what's going on in our hearts. We have example after example in the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms of folks who just bear their souls, their their anguish, their heartbreak. All that has gone wrong before God. They take that pain and they direct it towards Him. And we learn that God isn't hurt or diminished anyway when we express what's truly going on inside of us. So we talked about the importance of of just being honest about where we are at and what we're feeling and experiencing with God. And then we talked about how when we find ourselves in the midst of the valley, when we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, that we are not left there by ourselves. We are not alone when we go through pain, when we go through struggle. We have a God in Jesus Christ who understands. A God who knows what it is to experience suffering, to experience pain, to experience that feeling of, of, of being overwhelmed by what's going on in the moment. And in the, in the scriptures we find that we have a promise that God is with us in that valley of the shadow of death. We are not left to deal with these things by ourselves because Jesus is with us in the midst of them. And then last week, we asked the question, why? Or we dealt with the question of of why. And we talked about how a better question than, than why might be, do I believe that God is good and why? We spent time talking about how sometimes there just isn't a clear answer as to why. Sometimes there just isn't a clear reason as to the why. But in the end, we have to, even though we might not know the reason why fully, in the end, we have to determine whether or not we still believe and trust that God is good and that we have faith in his goodness, that we have faith in his wisdom, that we have faith in his love for us. And so this morning, we're going to transition into something just a little bit different, something that's just a little bit more practical, I think. We're going to talk about lament the importance and the value of practicing lament in our lives. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of his final uh, uh, words that, that are spoken, Matthew tells us that Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
which is a quote from Psalm 22, which happens to be a psalm of lament. And in John, John records that the last of, of, of Jesus' words are, it is finished. And so between Matthew and John, we get this sort of interesting thing that happens in Jesus' final words. Jesus cries out because he's sort of experiencing this moment of, of, of silence. It, it, it's the sense that God has forsaken or abandoned him while he is on the cross. And then when it's all finished in his last moments, in his last breath, Jesus says it is finished. And so there's this sort of interesting dynamic at play where Jesus is clearly in the midst of tremendous suffering. He's, he's clearly in the midst of, of feeling something that, that really no human being has, has felt. He's experiencing or he's expressing his, his anguish in the moment by saying that God is, is forsaking him or has forsaken him. But there's also this transition into understanding that his work is, is finished. There's, a, there's an end point where there's this hope. And so Jesus has sort of in short in his time on the cross practiced lament. And if you're unfamiliar with the term lament, lament is an expression of of sort of two different realities. It's an expression of, or maybe different realities isn't quite the way that we should say it. It's an expression of tension between two different things. It's an expression of tremendous anguish and pain, of the frustrations that we are experiencing. It's that coming back to that place where we are, are being truly honest with where we are at when we're experiencing suffering. But there is also this understanding that God is there. He is present with us. And that there is hope to be had. And so lament is, is this tension. Or expression of this tension. Yeah. Sometimes this world is messed up. Sometimes the things that happen to us are devastating and they impact us in ways that are just overwhelming to us. But yet God is still there. We're not left by ourselves. We are not alone. God is still working behind the scenes. And so lament is sort of this tying together of the truth that oftentimes we find ourselves stuck in a tension between the difficult moments of our life, but also understanding that God is there as well. We might not always understand exactly what he's up to. We might not always understand how he is at work. But lament is an expression of trust that he is in fact working despite the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves going through. And so when we find ourselves wondering where God is in the midst of difficult times, one of the ways, one of the practical things that we can do is express what we're going through 
in lament. As, as an example of this, we're going to read through Psalm 22. Again, if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm 22 as I read. Again, this is the psalm that Jesus quotes from the cross when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as we read, I want you to take notice of the back and forth that happens in this psalm. The expression of, of, of anguish and frustration tied with the understanding that God is still at work. Tied with the understanding that, that God is still moving and working and is God with us. So please, again, follow along as I read Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you, and you were saved. They trusted in you, and were never disgraced. But I am a worm, and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet, you brought me safely from my mother's womb, and let me trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Do not stay so far from me, for trouble is near, and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. The Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. 
For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. Poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him, all who are mortal, all whose lives will end at dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. Did you see it? The, the back and the forth, this expression of, of, of frustration and anger, this expression of pain that existed. And yet this continual going back to the fact that God is in control, that God will be at work, that God will do something in the midst of the situation that the psalmist, which is David, by the way, that God will show up and do what needs to be done in those situations, even though it might seem like or appear like God is, is absent from what's going on. As I think about this and, and think about this, this psalm, and I think about this, this notion of lament, I am reminded of those days between the crucifixion the resurrection, and in particular, Holy Saturday. On Friday, Jesus is crucified, and he dies, and he's put in his tomb, and then on Sunday, we get this tremendous story of, of resurrection, and we see how Jesus overcomes the power of, of sin and death through the resurrection. And there's just a teeny tiny little mention in Matthew about the events of Saturday. You see, the guards remember something that it seems like the disciples have forgotten. The guards remember that Jesus has said that he's going to rise from the dead. He told his disciples that frequently, though they didn't quite seem to remember or didn't quite seem to believe what he was saying. But the guards didn't forget. The guards remembered that Jesus said this, and so they asked what they should do, and they're sent to go guard the tomb so that the body wouldn't be stolen or appear to rise. And the question becomes, where, where were the disciples on that Saturday? Well, the scriptures don't tell us a whole lot of information, but as best as we can tell from the scriptures, the disciples were scattered. There was some uncertainty about what was to come next. They just didn't seem to, to know where to go from there. They were leaderless. They were living in a place of uncertainty. They had followed Jesus around for a number of years. They had experienced what it was to be with him, and then all of a sudden Jesus is gone, and everything that, they, that he had taught them, it seems to be falling apart. 
And so we have Holy Saturday where things seem like they're scattered, they're chaotic, they're, there's a whole lot of uncertainty. And that's how life is, I think, for a lot of us. We live between the tension of the resurrection and the crucifixion. We live in Holy Saturday. We have experienced on some level the joy of the resurrection and the salvation that comes to us through through Jesus and we understand certainly the crucifixion and why Jesus did what he did on the cross for our, our, our sins for our atonement and to bring us into right relationship with G, uh, with God we understand that but most of us sort of live in this space in Holy Saturday where there's just a whole lot of un, un, uncertainty we don't always know the way forward through difficult times. We don't always understand the why. Sometimes it feels like, or it seems like, God is silent. Even though we get down on our knees and we beg and we pray, it still doesn't always feel like God hears us or that he sees us. Even though the resurrection is just around the corner, the disciples seem to sort of have misplaced that, that understanding of what Jesus told him all those times when he said, death isn't going to contain me, I'm going to rise again. And so when we find ourselves sort of living in that headspace of Holy Saturday, with the uncertainty, with the, the, the quiet, with the, the feeling of absence of God, one of the things that I think is most helpful for us is lament. Is taking time to express both the pain and frustration of that, but also understanding that at some point there's going to be a turnaround. At some point God is going to enter in to that, that uncertainty and into that mess, into that pain, and is going to transform it and redeem it and make it into something different. And so as we sort of find ourselves waiting in that space, there's it's important for us to take time to lament. As individuals, and corporately together as the church. Because lament isn't something that we do fully by ourselves. When we read through the Psalms, there's something like 65 different Psalms of lament. Many of which are individual Psalms of lament. People expressing what's going on in their individual lives. But there were also many communal Psalms of lament where groups of people gather together. They see something that's not the way that it's supposed to be. And so they gather together as a group and they express their frustration together. And they then go on to express God's goodness together. And so when we think about lament, we need to understand that it is both an individual act, something that we should do on our own when we find ourselves stuck in the midst of that silence. But it's also something that we as a church should do as a community of believers should do. When we look around and we see injustice or we see travesty or when we're 
grieving or mourning something together, lament should be a regular practice for the church as an expression of worship, being honest about what we are experiencing, but also proclaiming that we trust God with whatever it is that is going on. Lament, again, is an expression of that tension. Living in Holy Saturday, of trusting in God, but also experiencing the anguish of life. And lament can be helpful to us because it can help us express the truth of what's going on while simultaneously helping us to express what might be a struggle for us, the trusting of God in difficult moments or circumstances. And as we look at the different laments that we find in Scripture, again, you have this back and forth, but you also have this crying out to God for His intervention, a crying out of, of, of heartache and trust asking that God will show up, asking that God will, will come and move in mighty and miraculous and magnificent ways. So not only do we express what's really going on and express our trust in God, but it's also an opportunity for us to ask God to enter in where we are at, to enter in and make something of the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And because we live in a world where we have seen the kingdom of God break in in some ways, but not the fullness of the kingdom of God, what we call the now and not yet of the kingdom of God, we need to understand that there's this tension, again, between the difficulties that this world has to offer the hope that God has to offer above and beyond those circumstances. As Jesus was on the cross in his last moments, he understood that tension well. The tension of the suffering and also understanding that the job that he set out to do was finished. And so when we think about those moments where God is silent, where it's just, it's quiet, where he doesn't seem like he's responsive to us, where it doesn't seem like there's much hope to be had, I would encourage you to lament. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about doing this. One, Find a psalm of lament that resonates with you and recite it. Read it out loud. Read it to yourself. There are, like I said, about 65 different psalms of lament throughout. Just a couple of examples of that if you're looking for some. Psalm 12, Psalm 13, Psalm 22, which we just read, Psalm 86. All of those can be helpful as we're looking for a template or a guide for lament in our lives. Because you and I, I think, probably both know that sometimes the words don't come easily to us. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. 
sometimes we don't know how to say something. We're so overwhelmed in the moment that we can't even express what's really going on. And so there's value in reciting the words of other people who have been there before, who have walked that path before we have. And so if you're looking to lament, I would encourage you to begin by going to those psalms of lament and recite them. Let them be your prayer. Let them be your, your God. Let them be a means by which you, you pray to God in the hopes that he will respond and answer. Sometimes taking time to journal our laments is helpful. Journaling has never been something that I've been particularly good at or been able to do with any real regularity. If I'm being honest, I kind of hate the idea of journaling. But for others, journaling has been a tremendous benefit because it helps keep our thoughts and our feelings focused. It allows us to be able to express ourselves in ways that you might not be able to express out loud. And so if you're looking for a means or a way to lament, might I suggest that you take time to journal, to write those feelings out, to express to God what it is that you're going through, but also to express those moments of hope that you have as well. So journaling can be a helpful practice as we think about lamenting. And sometimes, Simply being able to sing what's going on is helpful. Singing our lament. In fact, the psalms that we have in the, in the scriptures were all written to be, to be sung. Not just read, but to be sung. I know for many of us, when we go through difficult moments, particularly if we go through breakups in life, Oftentimes, it's easy to go hide out in our room, put on our headphones, and listen to sappy romantic love songs about breakups and heartache. We all sort of, on some level, sort of understand that sort of notion or desire. We can turn that sort of inclination into lament. Finding music, finding songs that resonate with what we are going through, the feelings that we are having can be a way that in which we lament. Singing along with them, singing to them in the car or alone in your room, or even singing them with others can be a means for us to be able to lament well. There is no one right way to lament, but we need to create space in our lives and in our worship communities to hold this tension of anguish and hope together. We need to find places in our lives where we can express the reality of our pain and the reality of our hope. We need to create space in our lives and in our churches where we are just honest and open. Oftentimes in churches, we struggle with this because we're often taught, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that we shouldn't ever have anger. We should be 
joyful people all of the time that never experiences pain, that never experiences being wounded. We teach that a lot in direct and indirect ways. But the reality is our human experience is one that includes pain, that includes anger, that includes frustrating things that are overwhelming to us. And so we sort of err on two sides of the equation. Either we err in just being angry, and social media does a wonderful job at sort of perpetuating this anger. We err on the side where we're just angry, angry all the time at what's going on around us, angry. And, and we express that, and we forget to express the hope. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And the flip side of that is that we're, we're hopeful, always hopeful. Downplaying the fact that, that sometimes life just gets to be too much for us. And so we don't properly live in the tension between the anguish and the hope that we often face in life. We, we teeter towards one or the other. And I think from a biblical perspective, the healthy thing that we can do, especially when we look at these psalms of lament, is to hold those things in right tension. To understand the anguish and how it happens and when it happens. And to understand the hope. And to be married to the tension of both of those things. I'm not claiming that that's easy. We're all built differently. We all experience these things differently. Some of us are sort of geared towards hope. Just sort of who we are. We tend to be a little bit more optimistic. And hope comes a little bit more naturally to us. And some of us are built a little bit more towards cynicism. And don't necessarily have a lot of trust in institutions. Or trust in things. And... It becomes a little bit easier for us to be angry at the world. We're all built a little bit differently. We're built uniquely. God intended us to be different than unique. And so we have to work at this from different angles because of, of who we are and our personalities and how we were raised. But we all have to get to that place of, of understanding the tension. That songs of lament, that songs of lament display for us. A reality where there is absolutely positively brokenness and anguish in the world that we live in, but also a reality in which God ultimately overcomes all of that through Jesus Christ. Where the kingdom will ultimately come to its fullness. And we won't have the reality of that anguish or pain any longer because of Jesus. But we're not there yet. We live in a world where that hasn't come to its full measure, where we haven't seen the fullness of that reality and so as human beings, we have to figure out how to live on Holy Saturday. How to live in that space between anguish and hope. And lament can help us do that. The expression, the, the honest expression of our pain and the honest expression of our hope tied together in a worshipful way. If you give me just a minute to wrap up, I will allow for that. Which brings us to our main point this morning. Our main point is this. Practicing lament helps us hold the tension of our suffering in God's silence with the hope of a better future as we wait for the fullness of God's kingdom to come. And our life change is this. 
simply this, an invitation to practice lament in the difficult moments of your life. It might not be easy. It might not always come to us naturally. But we need to practice lament as part of our, our, our dealing with those moments when God is quiet and when he's silent. Amanda.